You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I love this. He saw something in him that was truly wonderful, and he wanted it, and he took it and applied it to his own life. I love that. I think that's fantastic. When you're really following the Lord, when you're really trusting in Christ, and you go through a difficult time, and you go through a trials, and, and you come out because the Lord brings you out of it, and you give all praise and glory and honor to God, that's enamoring to people. And people want what you have. They want to get that. They want that. While the life of a believer is not easy, when you witness someone who's found peace and joy in Christ, despite their circumstances, it's very appealing. As Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, all of us can possess those qualities when we submit ourselves fully to God and trust Him with our lives. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10. As he continues his message, David defends God's honor. You are We are his ambassadors, and when we go out and we're reviled against it, against us, and when people come against us, know that they're not really coming against you, they're coming against our Lord and Savior. And I know that doesn't feel very good when you're the target of their charge and their anger. Look what happens in verse 5. When they told David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return Wait in Jericho until your beards have returned, and then you can come. David did not want the ambassadors to go back and avenge themselves. David would take care of us. Likewise, the Lord does not want us to be the avenger. Romans 12, 19 and 21 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The one who trusts in God will not think it necessary to avenge themselves. Why? Because God is my caretaker. God is the one. You're not reviling against me, you're reviling against my father. You're reviling against my God, my king. And they will leave the issue of vengeance to God, giving no place for their own wrath and a wide place for God's wrath. And as we read through the scriptures, it says, overcome evil with good. And this becomes the mindset. We will do good to our enemies. Bless those that curse you, Jesus says. Jesus went around eating with sinners, eating with publicans. When we see our enemies, we're going to look at the most practical way where we can help them. How can we help our enemies the best? Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would just knock them to their knees and bless them beyond belief. Pray that God would give them anything of their heart's desires and really knock them off their horse. This is the way we overcome evil, by, but everything is good. And then in the end of this paragraph, it says, heaping coals of fire on their head. What does that mean? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends upon who you talk to. But it could refer to giving them a concentrated effort to know God, burning conviction in their heart that might know God. 
I heard it once preached that it was a good thing because they used to bring the coals home. They used to start a fire here. And if they wanted to get the fire to their house, they'd put the coals on their head and they'd go back. So it's almost like they're praying for a good thing. It's what I just said. Don't pray against your enemy. You know, David did it many times. Lord, kill those guys. <laughs> Take them out. I'm tired of dealing with them. Then five minutes later, he says, oh, Lord, you're so good. You know? Pray for our enemy. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for those. Pray for our enemies and let God have his peace. God is not mocked. We can destroy our enemy by making him our friend. How do we destroy our, destroy our enemy by making him our friend? We give him Jesus. We show him Jesus. And they become born again. And then they become more than a friend. They become a brother. They become a sister. Too often we're ready to go for the stranglehold. We're ready to act out. It's what we do. Flesh is horrible. So what's the result of all this nonsense? These poor guys running around half naked, shameful, brutalized, humiliated. David's not going to take this very well. Let's read 6 through 14 as we look at the first battle. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David. Ah. They made themselves repulsive to David. Oh, yeah, they humiliated these guys. They showed them up, but they made themselves repulsive to David. Now, why is this important? If you remember back when we read a few chapters back that David's name was great in all the world. Everybody knew how great King David was. Everybody knew how strong King David was. Everybody knew that the reason King David was great is because God was on his side. And they're probably sitting around going, uh-oh. They made, they were repulsive to David, it says. Repulsive to David. The people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Makkah, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. They didn't have their own army. They had to go out and hire an army, which is kind of normal for some of these guys. Some of these smaller countries didn't have their own armies or didn't have enough men in their own armies. So when the wartime came, they went out and they hired an army to help fight for them. So that's what they're doing here. Now, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. This is the first time David's mighty men are mentioned. David's mighty men, his men of charge, his men of valor, his men of great, great prowess and power. He sent them out with Joab. You remember Joab? You remember Joab? He killed Abner. Remember that whole scene, that whole problem there? Well, Joab kind of redeems himself in this thing. Then the people of Ammon, I'm in verse 8. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth, Rahab, Rahab, and Ishtab, and Makkah were there by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. He split the tribes. He split the tribes. One was going to fight one way and one was going to fight the other way. 
Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. And here's the kicker. This is Joab, the man that killed Abner, the man that got David so angry at him that David cursed him and cursed his family. And listen to what Joab says in verse 12. Beautiful picture. Be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Wow. Wow. Joab has seen something in David. He has seen something that he likes in David. And now he's saying, let's be strong in the Lord. Let's let the Lord do what he's going to do. And we're going to be there. And we're going to do whatever he wants to do in this. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned with the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. The first battle, these people realized that they really made a blunder. Actually, they didn't make the blunder. The king made the blunder. The king made this stupid mistake, and now he's going to pay dearly for it. Their king wasn't prepared for war, as I said, so he hired these troops from the north, the Syrians and Armenians. David was ready to go, and he sends out his best general, General Joab, his best general that he has. Together, there's 33,000 soldiers who are joined the Ammonites to fight against Israel. Joab divides his forces, one to the north, one to the south. His brother Abishai leading the other one, and he led one. As we look at Joab's speech in verse 12, you see Joab taking a page from David's playbook. He learned a lot from David. And I love this. He saw something in him that was truly wonderful, and he wanted it, and he took it and applied it to his own life. I love that. I think that's fantastic. When you're really following the Lord, when you're really trusting in Christ and you go through a difficult time and you go through a trials and, and you come out because the Lord brings you out of it and you give all praise and glory and honor to God, that's enamoring to people. And people want what you have. They want to get that. They want that. And here Joab sees David doing this and he's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he starts giving glory to God. He starts telling God, this is a beautiful speech here. He's taking his page right out of David's playbook and he trusts the Lord for the victory. This is a great speech. He made three great points in this speech. Be of good courage and be strong. Courage and strength are not matters of feeling and circumstances. You can be strong and have courage in the midst of the bleakest and darkest circumstances if you're trusting in the Lord. If you're trusting in the Lord, your God, you can be strong in the power of whose might? His might. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Being strong and courageous in the midst of a trial, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of a terrible time, ladies and gentlemen, is a choice. It's a choice. Oh, you can be a grumpy stillskin. You choose to be a grumpy stillskin during your trial, you can do that. You can go outside, play in the dirt, and eat worms. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm all alone. You can do that. You can do that. But if you want to be strong in the power of the Lord and his might, then you need to get with the Lord. And you need to be in prayer about what the Lord is doing in your life. And you need to submit to what he wants to do. Remember what Joab said 
In verse 12 at the end, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Notice what he didn't say. What did he say? Go ahead, shout it out. Yeah, he didn't say what's good for us. That's true. He didn't say what's good for us. May the Lord do what's good for him. He didn't say, Lord, kill those guys. Wipe them out, which would be good for them. Right. He didn't say that. He's totally trusting in the Lord. Who's that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, not my will. Lord, could you take this cup from me? I, my flesh doesn't want to go to the cross. Can we find another way? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's what's happening here. Joab is saying, the Lord's going to do what is good in his sight. If I was to go around and ask each and every one of you what you wanted in life, you would say you want the Lord to do something that was good in his sight for you, wouldn't you? We all want what the Lord wants for us. But sometimes what the Lord wants for us doesn't look good to us. Doesn't look good to us because we can't see the end of the line. We can't see the great picture. We can't see the victory that's on the other side of the mountain that we have to climb. All we see is this huge mountain in front of us and we have to climb up. As we climb up the mountain, as Mark says, squalling and bawling, we climb up that mountain. Then all of a sudden we're at the top, it's glorious, it's wonderful. And you realize it was the Lord all the time dragging you up the mountain or pushing you up the mountain. Oh, how our flesh loves to squall and ball. How our flesh loves to complain. How our flesh loves to just, oh, gosh. I don't want to go through this, Lord, not again. Come on. It's a choice. Be of good courage. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong. The second thing he says, let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. We're not only being strong for ourselves, we're going to be strong for the people that we represent. But most importantly, we're going to be strong for God. We're going to be strong for God. We have that strength with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given us that strength to be strong for God. He has given us that strength. We've been blessed by that strength. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have that strength upon strength for God. He's given you that. Look at the Acts. Every time they prayed for boldness, bam, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they got bold again. That strength came from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that they did up. They didn't come, okay, I'm going to be strong. Really? God did that. Joab called them to remember all they had to lose. The cities, your families. Let's fight for them. But the bigger battle was let's fight for God. David was defending God's honor. These men had, these, these Ammonites had disgraced God by disgracing his people. They disgraced God. And David said, you guys are going to defend them. And then finally he says, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I love this. Jacob wisely prepared for the battle the best way he could. And this is our job. We do our best and God does the rest. We do the very best we can possibly do because we know we're doing it for God and then God makes things happen. We work up. At the same time, he knew that the outcome was totally up to God. Whatever's going to happen. Oh, if we would only realize that the battle belongs to the Lord. If we would only realize that God already knows the outcome of everything that you're going through right now. He already knows the outcome. If we would only truly believe that God works everything together for good for those that are the called according to his purpose, then love God. I forgot that. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed and the odds are against us. Sometimes we're hurt by others and we want vengeance. But the Lord is saying to you tonight, be of good courage, Christian. Be of good courage. The Lord is saying tonight, be of good courage. Be strong in your faith and the Lord will do what was right in his eyes for you. 
Be strong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Thank you. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Make a choice to do that the next time you're in the midst of a circumstance. It's probably tomorrow. Make a choice to do that. So they have this first battle. It doesn't even quite resolve itself. We'll get to that in a little while. And then we come to the second battle, and we'll finish out the chapter. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel and they gathered together, then Hadadazer sent out and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Sobak, the commander of Hadadazer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle away against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Sobak, the commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israels and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. So the next battle takes place. Now David's ready. David comes out. He leads the charge. David leads the charge directly. He personally leads the troop against the Syrians. He defeats them and they become their servants. The enemy is smitten. There's peace within Israel. And it's quite interesting to me that David's dealing with the, the Amorites began with kindness from his heart. But when the kindness was rejected, he became enraged, and they had a battle and a fight and brought destruction to his enemy. And it was so complete that rather than fighting him, the enemy gave up, and they served Israel. Another thing interesting to notice here is that Mephibosheth accepted David's kindness, didn't he? But the young king did not. While Mephibosheth was poor and broken, lame and weak, this other guy was rich. He was wealthy. He was proud. He was self-centered to the point of arrogance. When we share the gospel with everyone, poor and rich alike, but it seems to me that sometimes sharing with a poor person is a little easier than sharing with someone who has great wealth. It seems a little easier. Why? Because those who are poor and those who are poor in spirit and meek will find Jesus. Those who mourn their sin receive the kindness that you want to give them. There are people who are too proud to receive any help. I don't need any help. I'm okay. Get away from me. There will always be those who reject the Lord. However, we're to exclude no one when we take the message of the gospel. No one is excluded because, thank God, the Lord didn't exclude us. No one's excluded. We need to realize that only those who are broken, only those who are crippled, and only those who can't even seem to take a breath will accept Christ's mercy. In Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 19, he says these really wild words that we're going to finish with. In Matthew 19, verse 24, he says, he's talking about the fight they're having about the rich and the poor, and he says, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Interesting. Interesting. You know, in Israel today, and I'll be there in October, in Israel today, the guides take everybody to the Church of the Nativity, and they show them a small subgate at the Church of the Nativity. It's called the Eye of Needle. And what they say is what Jesus meant was that to get a camel through there, people had to basically squeeze the camel through. 
A couple of guys had to get behind him and push and squeeze and stuff like that, and they eventually got him through. He said, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's really interesting, because if you think hard enough, what they're saying is, if you really struggle, if you really try hard, if you grunt and if you groan, you can actually save yourself. That's what they're saying. A lot of people would think that. But Jesus points out that that is entirely false. He is not talking about some gate so little that you can't go through, a lot of effort or grunts and groans. What he's talking about is the eye of a needle, a woman sewing the eye of a needle. That's what he's talking about. Trying to get a camel through that. The disciples said, Lord, who can be saved? Jesus' answer was, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. He didn't say you got to strain. He didn't say you have to struggle. He didn't say you have to grunt and groan and give it your best. He didn't say it's impossible. Man can't save himself. That's what he's saying. It is impossible. Man can't save himself. Can't do it. Your good works will not save you. You won't inherit it from your parents. You can't work up to it. I don't care how many pamphlets you give out. I don't care how many tracks you give out on the Wildwood Boardwalk. I don't care how many doors you knock on. I don't care how many times you do that. You cannot save yourself. You're only saved by repenting of your sins, coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, confessing that you're a sinner, and believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. The only way you can be saved. There is no other way. It eliminates everything else, not our good works that we have done. you got to come as a little child simply believing that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. On a side note, the chapter ends with the unfinished business at Rabbah. It ends there. Joab lay siege against the Ammonite in the capital of Rabbath and had to wait until spring to attack. And when we start to read chapter 11, verse 1, he is out there in battle, and David stays home. David stays home. He eventually takes the city, and then David comes out and does great things, and he gets all the honors. But while Joab and his men are in siege, David remained in Jerusalem. And as he's waiting comfortably, he takes a stroll on the top of his palace, and he spies down there taking a bath a woman. Now, you all know about David's sin with Bathsheba and how it happened when he waited in Jerusalem when he should have been going out. But 2 Samuel 10 shows us that God gave David a warning. God gave David a warning showing that it is necessary for him to come out against the Syrians. David tried to leave the battle with Joab in 2 Samuel 2.10, but... 2 Samuel 10, but his army needed him, and he came out and he fought with them. David should have been in battle. God gave him the out. Now, what I'm going to end with is God will always give you a way out of temptation. God will always show you a way out of temptation. Now, how do we see it? How do we know it? Well, if you're close to God, if you're close to God, you'll recognize it. If your heart is not hardened toward God, you'll recognize it. But if you're not abiding in Christ... You might not recognize that out. You might not recognize it. Lord always gives us a way out if we would only look for it. Amen. You are sure. 
Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through 2 Samuel when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of Scripture, getting to know God better through His own Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Or just visit assurehoperadio.com. If you're not able to join us in person, we are streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just follow the link you'll find at AssureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message on Assure Hope. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover God doing great things in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another edition of Assure Hope.